Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine, and I'm an alcoholic. I would like to thank my sponsor today. It's um, Jennifer Halverson. Jennifer has been on the show a couple of times. She is, um, as we say in recovery, one of us. Um, she is a, a dear friend of mine and, and supports all of my shenanigans and is my uh, partner in crime at a lot of times. So, Jennifer, thank you so much. Today, we have on a fellow podcaster, which is so funny, Charlie, that I say that because Prior to March of this year, I had never listened to a podcast in my entire life. Ever. Are you serious? Ever. No, I'm, I'm way too excellent driver, you know, ADD, kind of, I just, to sit still and, you know, it never occurred to me to, like, turn it on Alexa or something while I'm doing, it just, yeah, I'm just, you know. Um, <laughs> but since then, since then, I have become a believer um, and, you know, I, I've listened to your podcast, The Way Out, and um, you just, you're doing amazing things. And gosh, dog, how long have you been doing this, Charlie, this podcast? Since March of 2015. Really? Okay, yeah. you got a minute on me. You got a minute <laughs> on me. Yeah, we, you, you are episode 42 of the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. We've been, I, I've been doing this since March of last year. So it's yeah, nine months. Yeah. So we're just we're just a little baby compared. Yeah, you've got it down to a fine art. So I'm quite impressed with what you do. Hey, look, we're OG, you know. I love it. I love it. Well, Charlie, on 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 this show, dude, we just talk about we just talk about the deal. You know, um, my main focus is I was asked several times, you know, what what is what is this thing about? And I said, I'm trying to reach me just before I was ready to eat a bullet. Mm. that's what I'm that's who I'm trying to reach that's who I want to um uh, who I want our words to touch just to let them know that there's hope so what we do is we just share our experience strength and hope with each other um you know so that we can reach that person so Charlie I would love to hear all the things about Charlie and what makes you tick and what happened what it was like what happened and what you are like now well Christine thank you First, for having me on the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. It's an honor. It's always an honor to be able to share my story. I take it very seriously because I truly believe when we choose to recover out loud and share our story, we're affording others the opportunity to connect to our stories, to find Mm -hmm. hope, to find tools, and to truly believe just maybe just maybe they can to recover right amen 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 mm-hmm. and so for me uh, sobriety was not a linear path christine in any way shape or form 
Uh, I um, always believed that I had big addict and alcoholic switches and they were bound to get tripped at some point. It uh, runs rampant in my family, all sorts of alcoholism and addiction. Uh, my mom died when I was 11 years old, and that was um, uh, uh, that was uh, also uh, right after that uh, experienced quite a bit of bullying in middle school for being the fat kid, and right before that experienced an act of sexual sexual misconduct from a cousin. So I had a few things happening in my childhood and adolescence that I like to say was like pouring gasoline on a campfire of addiction and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. The first time I drank, like really drank, I was in love. It got rid of all of the icky feelings that I didn't know how to get rid of up until that point by myself. All of the anxiety, all of the depression, all of the fear instantly vanished when I put alcohol in my body. It And it unlocked things in me that I was not able to unlock prior to that moment. I could flirt with the girls. I could stick up to the guys. I was funny. I was the life of the party. And... I loved that feeling. The first time I really drank, I was 15 years old and got so drunk that um, I was out of control at the party. They put me in the dog kennel because they couldn't control me. And they came back and checked on me a few hours later, and my lips were blue and I wasn't breathing. Oh, man. And my best friend was somehow able to revive me. And... Um, then they proceeded to feed me a, an entire bottle of syrup of Ipecac, uh, and I proceeded to, um, uh, you know, hurl for the next three hours straight in that dude's garage. I don't really remember a lot about that, but I do remember mostly how alcohol made me feel and what it unlocked in me and what it took away. And all I wanted to do is feel like that again, mm. as much as possible. It was like love at first to drink. And I found ways to be able to incorporate that in my life as much as humanly possible. Harder to do when you're underage. So I also uh, experiment more than experimented, regularly used other drugs uh, to take away those icky feelings and get me to a happy place. I landed in treatment when I was 16 because of that party incident. And uh, my parents made me go, my dad and my stepmom. And uh, um, I remember waxing poetic about steps and recovery principles that I had no intention of working. This was like graduate school for alcoholics and addicts. I really was just meeting. Yeah, I was really just meeting people that had far greater connections, Christine, to things mm-hmm. that I had no idea existed, right? And so, you know, I'm at the 28th day, and I'm about to chip out, and they're passing the coin around the circle. Everybody's telling me how wise I am and how they think I'm going to stay sober forever and how great I am. And Eileen, the head treatment counselor, usurps the circle, And takes the coin and says, Charlie, you're lying to yourself 
you're lying to this group you're going to use again and it's probably going to kill you oh i just got chills wow she had your number. She sure did, Christine. Ooh, she I don't like sure that. <laughs> I don't like those people. <laughs> she was like a she, I really believe Christine in a very real way that was my higher power in the form of a tough old Irish broad that worked at that treatment center. And every time my substance use, my alcohol use drug use became unmanageable, Eileen would come into my consciousness. Would just jump on your shoulder. You got it. Just like a sweet little angel. You lied to yourself. <laughs> you lied to this group. You're going to use again, and it's probably going to kill you. Oh, man. And that would come up after a DWI or a lost relationship or some sort of internal or external consequence, that's where my that's where my mind would go to that memory of mm -hmm. Eileen speaking straight truth to me. And over the next 20 years, two immutable truths became very crystal clear to me. Number one, over any length of time, my substance use becomes unmanageable. Could be an internal consequence, could be an external consequence, or both. And also, over any length of time, not using becomes unmanageable. Mm. I can't I can't stay sober mm -hmm. by myself for any length of time. I'll go crazy. And to your point off the top, Christina, it makes me want to eat a bullet. Like mm -hmm. I just it's not worth it. Like I can't I just, drink, I can't drink, and I can't not drink. You got it. Oh, man, that's hell. That is freaking hell. You got it. Hell. Can't use, can't quit. Right? And that's the crux of my disease, is I, without a solution, I am stuck between a can't use, can't quit, impossible situation so i'm on the back end of a third failed marriage and my wife at the time looks at me and she says you drink every day yeah yeah but but baby it's only a few and the problem christine with trying to outsmart somebody that's A, already smarter than you, and B, not drunk, because it doesn't work very well. <laughs> it does in our mind. In the it moment. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've got this garage situation where I've got, like, the main stock of booze in the garage, but if I only keep three beers in the fridge, then she won't catch on that it's more than a few. Took, like, a day for her to be like, that's, that's way more than a few, Charlie. I think you have a problem. I'm like, no, look. Listen I here, can... Eileen. <laughs> look, I can quit anytime I want. She's like, sweet, do it. You know, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Challenge. Mm. Yep. Okay. So I quit for 30 days on Marlboros and Resentments, which I don't recommend. 
And I, but it's, see, told you, told you I could quit. She says, okay, I think we need to get, I said, I think we need to get some alcohol because it's my oldest child's birthday and Thanksgiving. It fell on the same day that year. So we were going to have my parents over and we were going to have a little celebration. We're going to see if I can fix this a little bit. All right, look at that. That's even better. Look there at that. Go. Tremendous. Uh, and... I knew how much was riding on this. Like I knew. And I rarely like to put myself in the box where I promised myself or anybody else that I wasn't going to get loaded because I knew just enough to know that I couldn't trust myself. Mm. But I knew how much was riding on this. So I really needed to demonstrate that I could drink normally, that I could manage it. And I, and, and Christine, Every fiber of my being wanted to drink normally. Mm -hmm. Wanted to prove to her, to myself, to my children, to my parents, that I am not an alcoholic, that I can control my drinking. And of course, what happens? I can't stop. I'm having this out-of-body experience. And I'm drinking half drank wine i almost cut my hand off carving the turkey and my parents leave and she looks at me and she really meant it she wasn't trying to be a bitch so what what is wrong with you charlie and my oldest child looks at her looks at me and says what do you mean it's just daddy's just drunk again Yikes. Ouch. Okay, so I'm not hiding this from anybody. Like, the, no, nobody's fooled. She's not fooled. My kids aren't fooled. Like, the only one that's really being fooled is me. She's like, you got to go to treatment. You got to get help. And I agreed because I didn't want to get divorced again. Um, and so that's why I always say like any reason is a good reason to get into recovery, Christine, mm -hmm. like any reason, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Because I was coming into this thing, just trying not to get divorced again. And I get to this treatment counselor's office and I don't know what came over me. I wasn't planning on it. Wasn't the idea coming in, but I just broke down in her office and I got honest for the first time completely honest about the true scope and scale of my alcoholism and addiction I didn't pull any punches I didn't leave anything out I didn't rationalize minimize nothing Wow. and it felt so freeing yet so scary at the same time but that complete surrender that came over me was followed by a, an immediate, an overwhelming desire and willingness to do whatever I needed to do in order to get better. And if that meant not drinking, okay, I'll do that. But I just don't ever, ever want to feel like this again, ever. Mm -hmm. 
And she asked me, well, Charlie, what do you want to get out of this? I said, I want to know why I am the way I am. It's a question that tortured me for years. Why am I this way? Why can't I control these impulses? And she laughed at me. And she said, okay, well, let's say we figure it out. Let's say it's because your mom died when you were 11. Or let's say it's because you had big addict or alcoholic switches. And they were bound to get tripped at some point. She asked, if you find out why you are the way you are, do you think you'll ever be able to drink normally again? I said, no. Do you ever, do you think you'll ever be able to use safely again? No. Okay, should we figure out how we get better instead of why you are the way you are right now? And I was like, yes. And that was the first big light bulb moment. She's like, good. She's yeah. good. Yeah. 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 And I found out in retrospect, we, were, we understand so much, Christine, in hindsight. But my house was on fire, mm-hmm. Christine. And I was trying to figure out why it started instead of putting out the fire. Oh, that's a great analogy. That is a great analogy. Yeah. And so I got to work putting the fire out. And you know what? Through that work, I found out the whys too. Okay? But the whys weren't what I needed to resolve out of the gate. I needed to start putting that fire out. I needed to put the alcohol down, put the drugs down, put the addictions down, and start on a recovery journey that was going to heal me. And through that process, I figured out some of those whys. Well, really all of them. Uh, and more gets revealed. So, you know, I say all of them and then something else will come up, right? But but that that was the journey. And I just started to just do whatever people recommended. I found people in the rooms of recovery. For me, it was 12-step recovery that had what I wanted. And so I started doing what they did. And I started getting better. I started to change, meaningfully change in ways that I could never thought possible. Wow. Yeah, I I drink, you know, a couple of things came to mind, Charlie, while you were talking. Drinking against my will. You got it. And there's, I think, only, only, I don't think, I call them earthlings. I don't think earthlings understand what that means, to, to, to be drinking against your will. You know, um, that, that desperation. And, and when you were talking about, um, talking to that, that counselor when you, you went into treatment that second time and how you felt, you felt free but yet scared shitless all at the same time. It's like, I'm free but I don't know where to go. I don't know what to, you know, what to do. And I think the, and I love that analogy. Your house was burning down and you were focusing on why, how it caught fire instead of, (laughs) instead of trying to, you know, put out, put out the flame. You got it. But, but we do, we do, we want to know, and, and, you know, you know, my humble opinion, that's just occurring to me too. Cause, cause how long have you, what, what's your date? December 6th, 2014, I just celebrated nine years. That's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I, I remember 
I, I, re- I remember needing the wise answered as well. But looking back now, which hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Indeed. Looking yeah. back now, I think I wanted the wise because I needed someone to blame. Sure. Absolutely. No question. Right? This has got to be someone's fault. Yeah, absolutely. Along yep. with the fact that I need a medical doctor, I need a, a a medical procedure or some type of brilliant cocktail of medication or something to cure whatever is wrong with me because it couldn't possibly be addiction. I couldn't <laughs> possibly be turning into the the person that I that the type of person that I hated. Right, because I too came from an alcoholic family that was, you know, not not fun at all. And the idea that I would become like him, them, was furthest from the furthest from my mind. I was shocked. I yeah. was shocked. Even even drinking a Sam sized bottle of Listerine as my last drunk, I still didn't know I had a problem. A hundred percent. If you were me, you would drink too. Right. That thought was in my mind all well, the time. Yes, and even 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 past that, I was mad that they were mad because I wasn't drinking alcohol. I didn't go to the liquor store. I didn't, you know, that was that was the <laughs> insanity. Looking back looking back at it, it is it, it's Here it's laughable. Day. It's just no like question. what the hell is going on in your brain? Absolutely. That, that you would think that what you're doing is is I didn't think it was okay, but I didn't see what the problem was. You know, it's it just the insanity of it all. And to your point, Christine, when you were talking about drinking against our own will, and it's so difficult to describe how demoralizing that experience is, mm-hmm. unless you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not consciously demoralized. In my era, I wasn't. Which is worse because I was subcon. I that's that's where I was. I was subconsciously almost demoralized, mm-hmm. and I didn't know why. Which mm-hmm. made it even worse. Absolutely, yeah. You know, absolutely. But yeah, I I I needed someone to. I needed someone because to it's blame. operating under the surface, and anything that's operating just under the surface becomes really difficult to get our heads around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how was it, what, what did you, what was your, um, what was your experience in, in working? Like you said, you, you, I'm a 12 stepper as well. Um, what was your experience like in, in working those steps? What, um, what was your first aha? I had a lot of them. My first aha, I think really Christine was for the first time I felt like I was coming home. I walked down the steps and mm. I say that because where my recovery started was in the basement of a union hall and you go down these stairs to the meeting room so I came down those stairs and for the first time in what felt like forever Christine I felt like I was coming home like I belonged like I was with people that truly understood me and accepted me and I started hearing their stories truly for the first time. Look, I was in treatment at 15 and then another nudge from the judge when I was 21 after a D-dub. I wasn't listening. I was just waiting for my turn to talk. Mm-hmm. Get my paper signed. Mm-hmm. You got it. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to wax poetic about steps that I wasn't working. 
but I wasn't hearing you. And for the first time, I was really listening to these people's stories, which was the genesis of the way out podcast. These stories were changing me. Mm. For the first time, I really believed I could get better because they felt like I felt. They thought like I thought. They did what I did and they got better. And I truly believe for the first time that maybe just maybe I could get better too. And so I started doing what they did. And I went to a lot of meetings in the beginning, more than a 90 and 90 every day for a long time. And I got a sponsor and I worked the steps in order. Joe and Charlie mm. were transformational in my recovery journey. Mm-hmm. And I really believe it took Bill and Bob to write the big book and Joe and Charlie to explain it. Mm-hmm. And they just kept saying, run the experiment. Don't worry about the process. Don't judge it. Don't analyze it. This is a program of action. You don't need to understand it. Right. You just need to do it to the best of your ability. So the so for the first time in my life, I just turned my brain off and I just started doing the steps in order to the best of my ability with a sponsor. And Part of that process was straightening out my relationship with a higher power. I hated God. I had a huge resentment against God. Now, I dressed that up in agnosticism, right? I would tell you I was agnostic. That was a a lie. I was lying to myself and to you. Mm -hmm. I hated God. God took my mom away when I was 11. I wanted nothing to do with God. And so I I had to confront that in steps two and three. And for me, that meant just starting to pray to a God that I had no understanding of. Because if I could make it up, it wasn't big enough for me. So that works for some people to come with a concept of God. And I think that can make sense for a lot of people. Like, what would a higher power look like for you? That Mm -hmm. didn't work for me because I really believed if I could make it up, it wasn't big enough for me. And so I just started praying to this God that I didn't understand, but I meant it. I I meant it. And something profound happened by praying to this God that I had no understanding of. I started to change. And the way that I related to the world started to profoundly change. Mm. And the way I related to other people started to profoundly change. And the way I related to myself started to profoundly change. And I had this really powerful realization that praying to a God that I had no understanding of didn't change other people didn't change the world. This God was changing me. Mm. And that was my first understanding of how God works in my life. And it was a very powerful experience to understand that and to experience God that way. And that changed everything for me. And really transformed my recovery and gave me the ability to be able to work the rest of the steps 
to the best of my ability for really, you know, four through 12, but really four through nine. Right. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I really believe for me, I needed that higher power in my life to be able to effectively work the rest of those steps. Right. Um, and that was, that's what was missing at prior attempts uh, of recovery is I had no, I mean, I hated God. How could I, how could I work a spiritual program when you hate God? Right. So but did you know that? Did you know that? I mean, before you went in and had that moment with the, with the lady in the treatment, did you know you hated God or were you just like, mm. It, I did yeah, not know that. See, see, me either. So that's where it's like I totally get what you're saying. And and when when my sponsor insinuated to me that I, I it wasn't that I I just like it's very it's scary. All of our <laughs> stories are so much right? similar. But right. but it's 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 the same thing in the sense that she's like you're just super mad at God. And I'm like, oh, no, there's no way. There's no way. And she's like, yeah. Um, she didn't say bullshit, but what I heard in my mind is <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, you are. And, and I remember saying to her, if your God was all that great, why am I in this position to begin with? Why yeah. why doesn't he sprinkle the fairy dust on me or poof or, zzz, or whatever the case may be? You know, and, and, and ugh, I hated it when she said this, but I've used it on sponsees. She said, why is a question for management? And you're not it. You're not management. I love I that. Right? I love you that. Are not, you are not management. And, and Charlie, I love, love, love. One of the things that I share a lot with, with people that are, that are scared of recovery, that are still out there, and they're like, eh, it's not for me. But what you don't understand is when you said you were walking down those stairs home, when I heard you use the word belong, for the first time in my life, I didn't have to fit in. I tried to fit in every single Every, when Absolutely. I opened my eyes of a morning, I was already trying to fit in to, to what it was all in between my ears, but what I thought they needed me to be or who I need to be in front of this person or where am I going here. I never just belonged. You got what, it. You know, I, I, it was, I, I remember that when I went upstairs, I go upstairs, you went downstairs. When I went upstairs to, in, to change my date, because, you know, anyway, um, I, I just, when I sat down, it was so different. It's like the room actually was a different color. I mean, it was yes. weird. It was weird. It, it, it was just, I saw things for what they were because I was starting to see me for what I was. And my sponsor gave me enough confidence to know that good, bad, or indifferent when I do realize what I am, who I am, it's going to be okay. You know, and, and, and I, <laughs> as well, and this is also what I tell sponsees, if they, if they said it, we're going to say it. If they prayed it, we're going to pray it. If they wrote it, we're going to write it. It's in the book. It's 164 pieces of paper. Yes, Joe and Charlie. And if you've never listened to Bob D and Scott L, if you can get their step study from I huge fans. Oh, huge I know. I'm trying to, I tried to get Bob Darrell on my, on my show. Oh. He, he doesn't do podcasts. If you say you got him on your show, don't tell no. me. Don't tell me. No. <laughs> anyway, I, I'll tell you what. I've listened to them for probably the last eight months in my car. Just I only live a mile from my office, but they're just the way that, see, and I don't mean it offensively to myself, but I, sometimes I need things dumbed down. 
I need them. It's like, oh, that's a lot. Tell me, just bring it down to puppy dogs and, and duckies, piggies, Absolutely. and you know, that kind of thing. Um, and and they, they really, Joe and Charlie do the same thing. But, but this is, um, man, what a life. What a life we yeah. have. Christine, it's beyond God. anything I could have. There was a good stretch there where I didn't think I was going to see the other side of 30. Okay. Mm. So the fact that I'm sitting here at 45 years old with nine years of sobriety. Continuous. Continuous. continuous Nights and weekends and holidays. Yeah. After hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it reminds me, it was all about action, right? Action saved my life and continues to be what, keeps me well is action 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 and i love this quote by bill wilson you can't think your way into right action but you can act your way into right thinking and that's Mm -hmm. been my experience Mm -hmm. yeah i never have loved that fake it till you make it no see no 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 because when we come into the rooms we have agreed to stop faking we have agreed to leave the mass and the costumes and all of that out in the hallway and and be authentic so we don't fake anything but we can act which is is action yeah i love how you put that i love how you put that it's all about action no we ain't faking nothing we bring authentic we bring our authentic selves to the best of our abilities and look we are able to see other people bring their authentic selves to us, it gives us permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the struggle, the reality, the, 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 the good days and the bad days and the, all of it, right? And being honest about what folks are dealing with. Man, I get more out of somebody that says, it's been a bad freaking day. Mm. And my character defects got the best of me. And, you know... That's real. Like, this is not all, you know, unicorns and butterflies. And we, we're just not, like, magically, like, healed and we never make another mistake. So, you know, we get to see that in the rooms of recovery of people really doing the deal mm-hmm. and applying those tools to the lifey parts of life. But even past that too, Charlie, and I know you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about because I can already t- soul. Just, I, I I'm I'm one of those that I believe souls recognize each other down here. I just I, I, I just believe that. And and when when we get down to the um you know here's here's my guts. I ain't afraid for you to to see them. You know I've I've explained this to some of the earthlings that I come into contact with. It's like they're like, why are you so out there about you know your recovery? Because uh-huh, yeah, because just like you, I'm I'm out there. I've I've been told. I recover my, out loud. That's right. Amen. My husband. I think my husband called me extra again last night. Which um, he, <laughs> hey, look, if people he, say that, hey, um, your recovery is showing, and I well, thank you. You damn right. The, yeah, thank let me you. show you twice. Uh, but but it's one of those things that when when I show you who I. I am right um through my I'd not just tell you right when I show you who I am something changes and I'm talking about with normal people right yeah. not not necessarily just people in recovery because because thank praise God we do have a lot of of, of earthlings that that listen to the show that um when I show you who who I am there's just this magical 
dynamic that happens that all of a sudden you're not afraid to show me who you are. You got it. And it's that, that is how, my humble opinion, how God intended us to be on this earth is to be open and honest because my, my major scar right here, if you see it, you might go, how did you heal from that? What happened? And then so I can use my, my scar to be the message, you know, a message, the mess be the message and the test be the testimony, all the cliche things, but it's true. When I allow you to see my scars, I, I am allowing God to use me to, to possibly help you or your son who's about to, you know, fall, um, you, you know, or, or whatever the, the case may be. But um, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and, and I know, I know, I know too, you'll be out somewhere, even, even, even at a restaurant or, or a, a, a order food counter or something. And you look at the guy and you go, how are you? There's there just to watch their shoulders drop. And, yeah. you know, they say, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, my, my mom is sick, but it's, but they share something. Right. Instead of just give me a give me a burger and fries and pay. And when you touch someone's mm-hmm. life and it's oh, if I hadn't had. Well, if I hadn't come into recovery, I'd be dead. But recovery has taught me that it yes. ain't about me. Thank God. It ain't nothing about me. I don't want it to be about me because when it's about me, it gets drunk and almost kills itself. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being honest. You 100%. know, it's, it's just um, the humanity yeah, in me can honor the humanity in you. Mm-hmm. And the greatest way that I can show you my humanity is to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and authentic. And to your point, show you my scars and tell you how I healed from them. And you see my humanity. Mm-hmm. And you're liable to show me yours too. Mm-hmm. And we need more of that. We need so much more. Not in, and not just on a recovery level, on a That's, human level, for yeah, God's sake. Yes. All of the, you know, it's, I'm telling you what, the, the, the truth will set you free, but it'll ruin your day. <laughs> That, that that's a that's a Bob Darrell quote right there. That it, it, and it's it it's true. Uh, recovery has ruined us in some yeah. ways. It's yeah. like because you know we're not we're not we're not special. I've got a camera here. We're not special. We're not. We don't talk to dead people. We don't. But the fact of the matter is, is that there. You know, it says in a big big book. If you believe in that kind of thing, that the scales will be removed from your eyes, and you will mm. be able to see things as they are. You know, and the difference is now I can see things as they are most times. And I can just accept them. Whereas before I drank over them, I tried to kill yeah. myself over them. Or I yeah. or I tried to kill the, I, I tried to change it. Or I, exhausting. God, just makes me, makes me want to take a nap just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just was, how did we, how did we survive that? I mean, I know how we survived it. How did we survive that? Honestly, yeah, right. The the statistics of how many there's a little bit of survivor's guilt for me too, from time to time. Yes, yes. Stuff that I ended up surviving, and others for whatever reason didn't. Like you said, that's a that is a a management decision that I clearly don't understand Mm -hmm. why 
I survived what I did and other people's right. yeah. other people didn't. Uh, all I know is I did. And I truly believe it's my purpose to help as many people as possible get out of their own substance use disorder, their own addiction, their own alcoholism, mm -hmm. just by sharing my story, just by saying, here's how I did it. Right. Well, and it's, it's, um, uh, it, I, I, uh, Brene Brown, I, it, I think it is that, that said, you know, vulnerability is being comfortable enough with your darkness to go into someone else's to help them find their way out. Mm. Is that not sponsorship? Right. I love that. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. I ain't, I ain't scared of your demons, honey. No. I ain't scared. I can, I'll come in there. But, but if I come in there, you have to be willing to come out. Because unless you are completely willing to come out, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing will change. And that's the, you know, that's, you know, we, we I know you've heard a million times the, the term, the gift of, of desperation. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. I love that. I hate I it too. and I love it all yep. at the same time. Um, but I, I have so, come. Go ahead. I'm so grateful for it. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. Oh, honey, because I had I had that gift wrapped up in bows everywhere. Shit, I had that gift of desperation. But it, it was bordering on I just wanted to die. I didn't realize it was a gift of desperation yeah. in the moment, right? right. Um, but but it, it worked out. But I've come to realize. I used to think that to have... Um, I don't know the word I want to use, not adequate or proper recovery, to have full recovery or whatever, that someone has to have that gift of desperation. I no longer believe that. Yeah. I no longer believe that. I do believe that there are um, um, degrees of recovery. If you, you bet, will. no question. It's you know out of I mean? spectrum. Absolutely. Right. It's it, absolutely it, out of spectrum. And you're absolutely correct, Christine. I used to believe that out of the gate because that was my experience, that gift mm -hmm. of desperation, that it was a requirement. Not, mm -hmm. not the case. Right. I know plenty of people who came into recovery not desperate, not even wanting to get sober or uh, clean or abstinent, and ended up finding and achieving meaningful and enduring recovery that's no less meaningful that's no less beautiful than somebody that hit a quote unquote bottom, had a uh -huh. gift of desperation and recovered, right? Uh -huh. They're both beautiful. They're both meaningful and they're both worth elevating and celebrating. Right. And they are, and the, and, and right. That entire, that entire spectrum that we talked about, God can use those people to, but I also know that there is a, is there is a difference between, sobriety and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I don't sure. want to be, I don't want to be sober. I don't want to be just sober to me. That's hell. I, 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 I did that for, for a, a, a little while. And, um, I, I, I would rather leave this, this, this earth than, than live sober. I want to live in, I want to live recovered and in recovery, because what I heard you say, Charlie, is you have not graduated from a 12-step program. Is that right? You don't have that a is, diploma or a pretty no trophy degree. or little no. pen to wear? In a, no, no degree, no oh, PhD okay. in recovery. And, and it is a one-day-at-a-time program for me. And the longer I'm in recovery, the more that becomes a stark reality that 
this thing is a one day at a time operation for me. And what you said, you know, what you called sobriety, I call suffering from untreated alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I choose not to work my program, if I choose to stop doing all the things that got me and keep me well, I will start to suffer from untreated alcoholism, Christine, and my life will become unmanageable again. Mm -hmm. And that happens to me without substances. And then what happens is that I feel like I have no way to be able to cope with life on life's terms. And the only way to stay alive is to pour alcohol on it. Right? So, so instead of being abstinent and choosing to suffer from untreated alcoholism, I choose to pick up my kit of recovery tools on a daily basis that help me stay well. Mm. And I have to do it on a regular and consistent basis. I need my higher power in my life. I need recovery literature in my life. I need meaningful connection with other people. In my life, intentional connection with other people in my life, and I need to get out of my own way as much as humanly possible and help my fellow brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, re- I remember coming into the rooms um, about six months before my final, my final drunk, um, and, and I thought for sure um, that that... Alcoholics Anonymous's job was to teach people how to drink properly. <laughs> Charlie, they failed at that. <laughs> they failed at that. I, I truly, I truly thought they were there was some kind of secret or some kind of because I tried, I tried doing the only drinking this or only drinking then or only here or no, don't drink there or only this you time. I, I tried all that. So Thank surely you. they knew the secret because they've been doing this a long time. I heard so they could um, teach. So now the, there's a misconception, you know, because I'll be this coming March, by the grace of God, I'll be 12. Um, and, and I still get to, amen, I still get to, get to, not have to, I still get to go to at least two meetings a week um, because I love it. Yeah. You know, but there are people that go, oh, you have to go to a meeting. I know. It's like, oh, honey, child, let me tell you something. What I do is I go down to a room. I say down. I, I work uptown. I meetings downtown. I, I get to go down to a meeting where there is pro- anywhere from 20 to 30 human beings exactly like me, exactly like me, that I could say anything to. And the mirror that is their eyes looking at me won't change one iota. You got it. And they will, they will, they will um, be helpful if I choose to ask for their help. Or they will, there's, surely there's someone in that room that's going through the same thing if I'm angry or if I've got this sludge that's just cancer inside of me where I'm angry and resentful and I can put it on that table and those people will tell me what to do with it. Because I forget sometimes. I, I get busy in my life and, you know, this craziness goes on and, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll be. And I've given them authority to say to me situations like, for instance, maybe you're being a little selfish here. 
Yeah. Maybe, have you thought of it this way? Right. You know, whereas if my husband said that to me, I would claw his eyeballs out <laughs> viciously. But they can say, t- they can call me on some stuff and, and make me see things from an entirely different view, right? Yes. Yes. And y- y- Mr. Earthling, y- y- do you have that? I get to do that twice a week or whenever I'm feeling like I need, you know, that's, I have somewhere to go. So don't feel sorry for me that I have to, you know, either I have to, or I get to go to a meeting again. And it's all about perspective. And Christine, there's that experience that you described. And I've been fortunate to be able to experience it in my own recovery. I have a home group Saturday mornings that I, adore and i've got a host of friends from that group and those friends mean the world to me and i truly look forward to my home group Mm. every saturday morning Mm -hmm. and it talks about that in the big book this is an experience we're sure you won't want to miss to really feel like we belong and be a part of a brother and sisterhood that's unlike any other I've experienced in my life. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. And and that's available to us. And that's that's amazing. And it really goes to a really primal need of us human beings is to feel like we belong. Mm-hmm. And to feel connected. Right? I mean, back in our early evolutionary days, if we were not part of the group, we were probably going to die, Christy. We, st- yep, we, were pro- yep, we starved. Or, we got yeah, it, or we got, got put- eaten mm-hmm. by a bear or mm-hmm. something weird, right? Or so fed like, to a bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. it was really important for us to be a part of the group, right? Yeah. And it still is. Mm-hmm. But what's beautiful, too, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well, Charlie, is is that that initial you know for me you know march 14 2012 when when i went into that room and changed my date and i felt that that belonging you know since then i have found over time all of a sudden i kind of feel like i belong in other places i go that it. aren't recovery related you it's really it. it's it's kind of strange to look up and think okay well I'm not, it, you know, it's it's one of those out-of-body kind of things where it's like, I should be panicking in this situation, but I'm not. I'm actually comfortable and calm in this situation, you know, and, and being being aware that that these things are spilling out into my into my outside life, you know, um, not just in the rooms. I don't I don't just feel the sense of belonging when I'm in the rooms now. I can I can carry that with me. You just brought up something I think so beautiful because it's been my experience that I was able to slowly but surely and increasingly bring my whole self to the folks in those rooms, which gave me greater confidence, Christine, to bring my whole self to the Mm. world. Yeah. And, and what a what a feeling. What a gift. What a oh what a gift. What a gift. And 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 we didn't do a whole lot to to get that. I mean, we showed up with willingness. You got it. 
willingness to, to just shut up and 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 take in what folks were so freely passing on yeah you know i mean there was people that helped me that were so freely passing on what was given to them and it was keeping them sober too right mm-hmm. just by virtue of passing on what had been given to them and and what a gift it is now to be able to do the same to pass on what was so freely given to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. I, I just came straight here to record the show with you. For, I, I chaired a, a meeting, my home group at, at noon and the topic was um, oh, over the daily reflection. I don't know if you read it today. But, oh yeah. Every uh, morning. Yeah, it, it talks, it talked about us judging other alcoholics and it says it's almost, com- <laughs> almost comical. Yeah. Imagine, right? imagine I, another <laughs> one alcoholic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Passing judgment on an, I mean, the irony of it all. But I can remember sitting in my home group and I sat, I call it affectionately now, the exit chair, which was the chair right by the door, right? So, I mean, I sat in the exit chair for about five months after I came out of treatment, all the while drinking mouthwash and Listerine, which was not alcohol, by the way. Yes, it is alcohol. Yes, it is alcohol. There's alcohol. There's so much alcohol in some of these mouthwashes. But nonetheless, I remember sitting there, Charlie, and I'm looking at the group, and they would talk about some of the most wretched things. You know, I had this DUI, and then I par- partially cut my leg off, and, uh, and the whole group was like, ah, ha, ha, laughing. And I thought... You cannot possibly be the alcoholic, or, or I, 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 as a matter of fact, I wasn't referring to myself as an alcoholic at the time, but you can't possibly have life as bad as me if right. you're laughing like that, because there is <laughs> no, there is nothing to laugh at in, in my, I was passing such judge, I was, oh, and I was thinking at them, oh, I was thinking at them. <laughs> you know, you ever just sit there and think at somebody? Oh, you know, 100%. And I'm just, th- I'm just thinking, you know, oh, you, you, you drank a little too much, or, you know, I, it was, I, it was wretched, the things that I thought about these people, you know, and come to find out they were exactly like me. Oh, isn't that the truth? You know, Christine, it reminds me, I remember when you talk about like just thinking at somebody. This was early in my recovery. And look, I mean, I was wanting to get better. I was, I had the desire and I had the willingness and I was coming off of that gift of desperation. But some guy stands up at a meeting and says, the desire has been removed. The desire to drink has been removed. And I and I, I remember thinking, he is so full of crap. <laughs> oh, He's has lying. the desire been removed? The desire has been removed. You know, I'm like, you're lying. Give me a you're break. lying. You're not, you're I lean like the whole thing. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to this group. <laughs> you, I leaned him. Yes, I did. Okay. Oh, my and, gosh. And, and lo and behold, after I worked the steps in order with a sponsor, I too had the desire removed. Imagine that. Imagine that, imagine Christine. That. Imagine that. One thing I too want to highlight is, as an important part of my recovery, and I say this in my recovery story on purpose, I also embarked on a therapeutic journey in parallel to my 12-step journey. Mm-hmm. And that was critical for me. And it really unlocked my recovery in a significant way to go through a therapeutic journey, EMDR therapy for me, 
mm-hmm. and working the 12 steps in order with a sponsor. And so tell, I tell like tell people what EMDR is in case there's you got earthlings listening. <laughs> yeah, so EMDR therapy stands for hold on, I'm going to get it right because I always forget. Um it is called it is, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. And so for me, that experience meant that I was holding on to these two little like pods while I was engaging in therapy sessions. And at first we weren't talking any, about any of the trauma stuff, any of the any of the hard stuff. It was you know, kind of normal stuff that we were just, you know, telling my story and stuff like that. But it got me used to the experience of having them in my hands. And then we were able to revisit the trauma and the transformational piece in the EMDR for me was, you know, prior to that therapy experience with the EMDR, every time I would be reminded of the traumatic experience or the traumatic experience memory would come up for me, I would feel like I was transported back in time and I would feel like I was 11 years old Mm. and it was happening to me all over again. Mm-hmm. And I was literally reliving it against my will. Mm-hmm. I felt like I felt that day, that moment. And EMDR allowed me to stay in the present moment. I knew that I wasn't back there. My body knew that I was here in the current moment. And then I was able to reprocess that memory in without a way. Without the emotional, yeah. Yeah. Without the emotional of what, an 11-year-old. You bet. Yeah. Yeah, people it. don't, I, I see that. It, it took a while for me to learn that. Because that, I do, and I believe that with my whole soul now, that I think that we freeze emotionally. Yes. At whatever point it was. Our bodies continue, our intellect continues, but emotionally, you're 30-something years old reacting like an 11-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that memory, when that memory comes back up, up, instantly transported back Mm. mind and body back to that moment in time. Uh So now when I think about that traumatic experience, it still has an energy, no doubt about it, but it does not overwhelm me or paralyze me and it does not trigger me to want to escape it right and that's amazing was transformational that's amazing yeah 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 well and 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 to to further or to reiterate what you're saying that i i'm a i am a Big book thumping uh, believer, and but there are other treatments and and um uh, things that that you could do to further your recovery. You know, so so hopefully hopefully someone has a sponsor that can suggest certain things, or you know um you know and and we just have to keep we have to keep doing the thing out we just loud. have to keep sharing the story and we saying it out to, loud we just have it. to give you know you just never we just here's a deal we just have to keep planting the seeds and let god do what god's you gonna do as far it. as watering and tending those seeds you know you and, got it and um, even bill wilson in the big book says that i quote i paraphrase i should say make be quick 
to make use of outside help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he was a big advocate mm-hmm. of leveraging mm-hmm. outside, whether that be religious, whether that be therapeutic, psychiatric. Right? Mm-hmm. You got it. Mm-hmm. 100%. You got it. Yep. And so, and I know I've seen this on your social media, Christine. So I love this that you are elevating and celebrating all pathways to recovery. Mm-hmm. They all matter. Uh, they're all valid, right? And we all need to, you know, be supportive of each other's recoveries, regardless of the pathway. Right. Well, and and also and and also knowing, following that with with if what you're doing's not working, tr- try something else. You get, you got it. Don't give up hope. Just tr- try something else. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. The minute we stop seeking, yeah, that's when I, I've seen so many people die. I've seen so many people. This disease kills so many people. Yeah. You know, and it's like you, you don't have to be one of them. You don't have yeah. to be one of them. Tell people. So tell me all the things you do. Tell people how they can find you at uh, your wonderful podcast. Give it. Get, let's plug that sucker. Let's let's say all the, uh, the way out it. podcast. So you can hit our website wayoutcast.com, And that will get you to all of our tremendous content, our 300 and some odd episodes now uh, of recovering out loud with amazing people like you, Christine, uh, my co-host and a brother from another mother. Jason is just uh, one of the best human beings I've ever met in my entire life. I love him to pieces. Uh, he does interviews. I do interviews. So you get a little bit of both. You get the interviews that I do and you get interviews that Jason does. And every once in a while we do topic shows. So we'll do, uh, shows together, Jason and I. So that's uh, so that's great. Wayoutcast.com. And you also have recovery. You have a recovery page online as well on Facebook, right? What's the we name do, of that? We do the Way Out Podcast on Facebook. Yep. So you can get us on Facebook, Insta, the whole show, and that's how all those links are on our website. So you can hit our Facebook and our Insta. Uh, that way too. Um, I do recovery coaching. So uh, that's another piece that I offer to people uh, is recovery coaching. And uh, uh, I use the CCAR method of recovery coaching, which is a great way to be able to help people uh, build what they, what we like to call recovery capital. Right. And so uh, I'm also a certified recovery coach. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being willing to come on here and talk to me. And thank you for being um, a recovered individual that is willing to continue to go into the dark and help people find their way out. Literally, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) You need to snip at that. (laughs) Half up. (laughs) I could not have said it better myself. I could not have worded it. Better I love it. Myself, I love it. I Christine. love it. And Christine, thank you for everything that you do for the recovery community, for recovering out loud, for helping others to recover out loud, smashing stigma, and showing that recovery is not only possible, Christine, you're also showing people that it's worth it. And it's beautiful. No shame. No shame. Yeah. No more. No shame. 100%. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back.
This has been a Rogue Media Network production. <laughs>